goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to one more episode of the Data Transformers podcast. And today I'm very excited to introduce a guest I've been following on LinkedIn for quite some time. His name is Joe Dos Santos. He's the chief data officer at Click. And before Click, he was at TD, he was at EMC, and he started his career with uh, what used to be Anderson Consulting, what is now Accenture Consulting. Joe, welcome. Thanks, Ramesh. Good to be here. Welcome, Joe. Hi, Peggy. Joe, so let's get started with your chief data officer role at Click, and your LinkedIn profile starts off with the challenges of being a chief data officer. Please go <laughs> ahead. Well, I think that uh, you know the uh, the act of being a chief data officer is akin to being like a janitor. You know, there was a party the night before, and you have to figure out how you clean up the mess after it's all done. And uh, you don't often get a lot of uh, notoriety for that. And you know, a lot of what we're trying to do, and I think the whole industry is trying to do, is try to change the complexion of the chief data officer. You're not a cleanup person. You're not the, the mother who says, no, you can't have that data. You're an enabler. You're a business partner. You're trying to really focus on the business value. And uh, so a lot of the things that we try to do is to really focus on what are our chief analytic needs, how do those align with the overall strategy of the organization? And how do we try to create a culture that mobilizes the entire company against those? Because if you don't do that, every single department already has their own day-to-day -day tasks. They get lost. You know how this works. Mm -hmm. The functions start to kind of fight against each other and everybody kind of goes back. My job is to solve big problems, big problems with analytics. And I remind everybody every, everybody every day that data and analytics are really at the core of solving those big problems. And it's really about trying to create direction to solve the big problems, organizational structures, and team play. How do you actually create the kind of data ops environment and structure to get the right people involved at the right time to move through the process in a way that feels good, in a way that delivers outcomes that people look back and say, yeah, that was that was worth the effort. And Joe, as a chief data officer at Click, and um, for those of the audience that are not familiar with Click, could you uh, talk more about um, what Click is? And how is being a chief data officer of a technology company um, different than maybe different other ways that people know of a chief data officer, for, for example, in a financial bank? For example? Sure. Um, so uh, Click is a software and analytics company. Um, they have, they were founded about 30 years ago in uh, Lund, Sweden. They're now American. And uh, they grew up principally as a visualization platform, a way to visualize data, and since have started to get into some of the software that's required for replication of data and data availability, uh, kind of population of data lakes and warehouses. And so, you know, one of the things that's really interesting is that the, the difference between my job and many other people's jobs is that I find that many chief data officers want to spend time to get people interested in data, to create data literacy. I have the opposite problem. I have a whole bunch of cowboys that already know everything there is to know about data and can't wait to get their hands on it. And uh, so it really creates this interesting kind of friction, a healthy friction between what is it that we can do that, that provides this information to you in a very liberal, 
safe way, right? That kind of, the friction is between how do I make sure that you have only what you need in a world in which a lot of these people just want you to give them the data and get out of their way. And I think that's a, that's a friction that many CDOs feel from the data analytics and data science community. And I feel it in spades every day because I work for an analytics company with a lot of really analytics literate people. But 30 years is a long time. A lot of things happened for data analytics governance right over the 30 years. And uh, one of the things that I came across click was the self-service analytics. Right. So then we were doing is that now democratization of data, data is accessible to business people, uh, IT people, everybody. So if you have access to the data, then you could do the analytics yourself. And, and given this, so what are the challenges that you see with the self-service analytics of the democratization of data? One of the things that I could see is that if the data is not good, then everybody will come up with a different interpretation of the data. That's right. That's right. Um, so Click has this uh, concept that I think is really on the money explaining the evolution of BI. And if you kind of jump in with me with a, as a time machine to 1995, if you wanted information, you would carefully submit a ticket to IT mm -hmm. who would prioritize you. And then over the course of six to 12 months, provide you a data mark that probably didn't meet your needs in the first place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? that's true. And, and we call that Gen 1 uh, BI, which was really in the domain of the IT professional. It was effective, but it was it resulted in very small amounts of value being created at a time. Um, that led, you know, largely towards the end of the 90s to the second generation, which was in many respects a revolution against that. Born are the tableaus, the clicks, the grab your own data and get to work. This kind of idea of empowerment of the analytics community. Mm -hmm. Now, that's good. But it's also exactly as you said, Ramesh, it, it makes it everything conducive to this idea of five different people ask the same question and get a different answer because everybody's on their own. So we think that the future is really this notion of a third generation of, ID, of, of BI, which is largely about how can we control the back end and liberate the front end? So let me explain what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. If you could come up with a strategy where your governance community really did an effective job of describing, tagging, protecting data, and making it available to people, largely through the, the, the sense of a catalog, you can then explain clearly what this data is, what its utility is, who else is using it. And in some respects, this is what we do in our retail life every day, right? Every day you go into Amazon and it tells you people who use that, use that, and this one got four stars and this one got two stars. And our notion is that data should be exactly the same way, that you should be able to, we should be able to control the distribution of data, but that doesn't mean wild, wild west. It means a careful, thoughtful distribution of data through the context of a catalog that allows for self-service to happen. And also what that also means is this might sound weird coming from a person who works for Click, but, but there are different analytics tools that are appropriate for different kinds of tasks. And especially with the dawn of AI and machine learning technologies, What's really important is that people have confidence in the data that they're using yeah. so that they can put it into the right tool to do the job and the workloads that are required. So we, we wake up every day hoping that everybody loves click, but we also know that there are other reasons and use cases. So that really puts this premium on, do you have the right organizational structure to produce that kind of library, that catalog of data that you can feel comfortable putting on a shelf and letting people get to themselves? Um, and if I could just put one kind of metaphor here that I love to talk about, you know, um, if you think about how you go get products on a daily basis, the, the, the way that you access that products has controls in place and you feel them, 
right? So if you, I'm sure we all remember turning 21 so we can go to the liquor store because someone's going to give us an ID. That, that product was controlled. If you go to the CVS today, if you want a prescription drug, someone's going to ask you for a prescription, right? So think about this idea of those controls are there. And we need to start thinking about the catalog enabling those same kind of controls within the distribution of data. So what is, what is the effective, what is the equivalent of OxyContin? PII, stuff that's controlled by GDPR, yeah. tax IDs, email addresses. We can know what they are. We can devise all these different systems to know them. And I think that the secret to, to who's going to win in AI in the future, in a world where, let's be honest, we're all using the same algorithms. Yeah. We're all using the same tools. The only thing that's going to make you better is being able to use more data. So how do you get more data into the hands of people in a way that's safe? And I think that has to do with really having your arms around what that data is and understanding if the person in front of you has the authority to get to it, right? And that comes from having a good uh, uh, ability to kind of at speed, go through data, understand it, catalog it, put it on the shelves and get the heck out of the way so the analysts can do their job. I love the concept of, you know, mentioning of a catalog because it's it's really where the beginning point or like it's it's a, it's a point where our, um, your data analysts can consume the data but before a catalog can even be constructed or even be valuable, um, I think you, you alluded to a lot of the data governance activities. And mm-hmm. I've heard you speak before about the role of a steward um, really being the librarian to curate and their function has really changed. Because can you talk a little bit more about the, the really the underlying effort that really needs to make sure the data is of sound quality for downstream consumers? Yeah, so um, so in the old world, in that kind of Gen 1 type of, of BI, mm-hmm. uh, we didn't let anybody see the raw data, right? We would give all of the data to somebody who was a really good Informatica developer, and then they would create these data assets that would wind up in a data mart, and then we'd control that. So in some respects, if you kind of think about this in a manufacturing facility, just like that, there's raw materials and semi-finished goods and finished goods. So we used to work in this world where we we really controlled finished goods. We put them on the shelves and made that. We need to start thinking about um, how do we manage raw materials? And it's a different animal altogether. I think um, if you start to, if you talk to any data scientist, they will tell you, never give me the finished stuff, give me the raw because there's magic, there's there's little details that can be fine. And I'll give you an example, fraud, fraud detection. There's, it turns out, hopefully I'm not giving the fraudsters any good ideas here, but <laughs> it turns out that if you were to randomly generate uh, numbers, you would have a lot more ones than nines in terms of how you actually did it, just because of the psychology of typing your random numbers. And so what a fraud detection algorithm would be able to do is to recognize that you can't aggregate that away. You can't eliminate duplicates, right? You have to actually look at the raw data to be able to find that stuff. So in a world where there's this hunger, this thirst for this raw data, how do you actually make that available? So so I think that number one, what's changed is we have to have the ability to at speed discover what's inside of these data sets. So you'll, you started to see the kind of the dawn of more AI tooling that mm. is really quite simply, what the heck is this stuff? Oh, that's a tax ID. Oh, that's a telephone number. Oh, that's an address, right? And so, and for the most part, you don't care about what all the stuff is, but some of it you can tag to make it available to people who are looking for it. And some of it you go, wait a minute, that's a tax ID. I better obfuscate that or, or hash it on the way out the door, right? So I think that that capability number one is this idea of being able to put people in place that can validate what these data sets are as you kind of check something in on the shelves, right? And, and the notion of quality that you're describing, Peggy, I think is 
you know, when you go to the store and you go to the shelf, you know what shelf to go to. You know what the skew is because it's written right there. You know what the price tag is. And you have a general expectation of what that product looks like. And similarly, you need to have the same kind of process for putting data on the shelf. So interesting, actually, I'm following some threads in, in um, what you're mentioning. You started off with one thing, the organizational structure. And then later on, you also talked about the team collaboration, team working. So I'm sensing beyond the data, beyond the models, beyond the analytics, you're emphasizing an element of people in all your you know, descriptions, right? So you're talking about the organizational structure and the teams and then the skill set. So can you talk a little bit about what has been the evolution as a CDO now in terms of the organizational structure and the required skill set and then in, any gaps in that area? Yeah, so, so let's start off with kind of the elephant in the room that if I go to a cocktail on a Friday night, no one wants to talk about metadata or semantics or tags or any of this, right? So, so these concepts that we're talking about are really for kind of the, the data people. Mm -hmm. And the key part here is for us to first and foremost, make these things translate into some kind of value proposition to our constituents. So, so part of what we wanna do in terms of engagement model number one is how do we explain what we're doing, how it doesn't affect a mathematical concept or a technical concept. It actually affects the outcome. This is this is the revenue bump we expect to get by this, this cleanup of our data. This is the cost takeout we expect to get, right? So engagement model number one is how do we start to get committees in place? That's the first thing I did. I, I talked to our executive team and I said, I needed a series of executives that really every single day drive where we're going because if they don't believe it, we're already done. Right. So model number one is how do we have the vocabulary to talk business language as opposed to data language? Then we have to start to think about um, one of the things that I've found a consistent difficulty in my career is technologists don't understand what governance people do and governance people don't understand what technologists do. And this idea of really trying to broker that conversation to meet in the middle. So right now, if you read a lot of like data ops literature, it has to do with technical concepts. And they'll say, you know, there's a domain and you move it and you promote it and all this kind of stuff. And if you talk to a data governance person, I'm like, where have you been all my life? Domain, that's all I do, data domains, right? And they actually don't know that. And so we spend a lot of time trying to make sure from a, from a functional perspective, what do you mean when you say domain? Well, I think about it as a, a booking, for instance, a booking would be a good domain because, and that's dependent on other domains like customers and price and orders and opportunities. And, uh, and the, the, the technical person will say like, well, I don't, I don't think about it that way. I think about it as a table that's, uh, you know, it's got dimensions and facts. I'm like, well, both are true, right? And so what I think is important is the rounding of these skills. How do we make a technical person lead a little bit more into the, into the functional world to understand the practical uses of these data elements that are being created? And how do we make sure that, that that governance person leans a little bit more into the technical world to understand the new capabilities that didn't exist three years ago that allow for you to get this data up and running in the catalog and available for AI you know, in five minutes as opposed to three weeks. Uh, Joe, what are your thoughts on um, the role of AI, especially when it comes to, you know, we've been hearing AI as, as a predictive element, right? Do you think it has a role in uh, in self-service analytics in, in terms of helping to curate or to provide better recommendations? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think um, let's talk about AI in two different respects. AI within the context of helping me figure out what the heck my data is. Mm -hmm. And then AI with respect to providing a way for us to get better insights and how that's gonna work. So 
both are incredibly important. So what we're starting to see more and more is people are developing these algorithms that help you parse through data to figure out what it is. So if you were trying, if we were talking about this five years ago, we were talking about how can I figure out what this data is? We'd say, well, you can look for patterns, right? So like telephone numbers, usually if they're national telephone numbers, they have a plus and a country code and, and you can start to look for patterns in that data. And that's good. And you can use these deterministic methods to do it. What about birthday, right? If you think about, well, what's different about what looks like a date? Well, how do I know it's not a, an account opening date or a birth date or a you know anniversary date? Yeah, yeah, I look the same. And and the answer is the answer is AI, right? So what do dates? What does your birth date usually appear next to? What does your birth date usually have with respect to a, um, a, a stretch, right? So like to the best of my knowledge, none of your active customers should have been born before 1900, right? So, you know, the, you, you know, there's a distribution of data. You know that it's a proximity. Like one of the things we always just talk about is if you were to see something that was a field that had um, a month slash year and you saw it in a, in a vacuum, you might say, well, I don't know, that's a month. What if I put that right next to a credit card number? Chances are that's a credit card expiration date, right? So all of these things that we are kind of imagining are things that AI can figure out. So all of these kind of supervised and unsupervised techniques can really help get insight into what the data is to make it super easy for that data steward to understand what the heck they're looking at and tag it and protect it appropriately. So I actually think that this is, this is something that we've started to see evolve in the software space that I actually think is going to become even more advanced as we go forward. Now, what, I, what I'll also say is once you get the data, mm -hmm. you know, if you have this data, it has to be useful for these AI algorithms. And one of the things I envision happening more and more, this is kind of what, let me put on my sci-fi hat. If you're really good at AI and you have unsupervised models, shouldn't the model just be able to go into the catalog, grab some data, see if it can find something and keep going? Right, so if you, if you get really good at AI from the perspective of data discovery, you can, you can see in the future that that turns into the idea of the models just telling you things that you didn't even know you were looking for later. Um, and, and the output of that, I think, are, are A, models that you can apply in the context of some you know, applications or processes that you're doing, but also B, potentially new data sets. Right? So if you say, for instance, here's a list of customers, and then here, well, what are my at-risk customers? What are my propensity for, for, for attrition customers? The AI can actually do some work on that. And then, you know, you walk in on Monday morning and there's a new data set on your desk that the AI has gotten through. So, I mean, in some respects, I'm talking a little Star Wars, but I think this is where the, the market is headed. Mm -hmm. And what we need to start to do is to put processes in place that allow us to check things in and out. Just because an AI says it might be right doesn't necessarily make it right you know so we have ethics that bind us and i think that's actually ai ethics is one of the most fascinating topics that is coming out of you know the 21st century um but i think that that's what we need to, start to think about is the, the the role of the data scientist is going to change from hardcore mathematician technical person to something more akin to a business analyst who can review the results of an ai output and figure out if it's actually acceptable tolerable usable and then figure out how to put it to work question to you from a governance perspective right so if you look at governance how it has evolved uh, from a you know what used to be to a big data governance and now we are talking about AI governance so is the governance primarily towards the analytics and prediction side or there is also governance is evolving to address the classification of data to incorporate AI into the uh, the overall life cycle yeah so 
in some respects, you know, what we're trying to do is um, governance should be in the business of putting golden sources of truth on the shelf. Okay. And sometimes those golden sources of truth are raw. And some of those, sometimes those golden sources of truth are finished goods, you know, much in the way you might go to a Home Depot and there's two by fours and sheds. You know that a two by four is of the same dimensions and you know what the shed is there and they, they track both, right? Yeah. So, so let's start first. I think what you're saying is exactly right. If we think about AI as an automation tool for data stewards to put raw materials on the shelf, super helpful. Right, so we should be able to use these techniques to to accelerate the discovery of what this data is. Yeah. That doesn't stop, right? That then presents it to the data steward instead of saying, "Here's a 200 column table. What do you think?" Here's a 200 column table. I think I figured out what 180 of them are, mm-hmm. and fill in the blanks. That's a whole different animal altogether. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's a, that's a very powerful way to think about making data available. Yeah. Um, now, similarly, I think that there needs to be governance on the consumption of the analytic models themselves, right? So as one creates these these models, there's version controlling. There is uh, the check-in process. Just because something is made as an, as an analytic doesn't mean that it's a usable analytic. So let's make sure, let's get back to the example that we said about attrition risks. So let's say I had an AI that actually on the fly calculates whether the person that I'm talking to on the phone is, a, is an attrition risk and starts to recommend some different things to talk to about whether or not we should keep them here in, in the service. Mm-hmm. There should actually be some thought as to whether or not that, that algorithm is correct or correct enough, or how are you going to use it? Like that's a, that's a business decision, and that is a different form of governance, right? That's that's algorithm governance as opposed to data. And I think my organization is kind of focused on both. How do we start to think about the data? Then what did that data get used to create? Now the semi-finished good. I have I have opportunity data. And then I have closed one deals that constitute bookings. It's finished data, and then I have applications or analytics that produce that. And, and intelligent organizations have to govern all three of those and treat them kind of separately, allow people to create new things. But you, you have to have some kind of a check-in process that just because you built it doesn't make it true, right? In fact, getting back full circle, Ramesh, to your comment, mm-hmm. you can't have five people answer the same question with a different answer. Yeah. So it's okay if you go do that, but you if you want to check it in and you want our, our organization to certify this truth, when you're finished, here's the formal governance process to check in your result. I really love your example of, you know, shopping for a shed, uh, which shed, like, and depending on actually your role and your persona in the organization, you may actually want a finished shed or just go to Lowe's and buy, you know, the, the logs itself. Um, and it's also interesting you're talking about governance from a data perspective and then from a analytics perspective. That's almost like the, I consider almost like the operation operationalization of, you know, the data, um, you know, in from what you've seen in organizations, is that governance owned by, is it still owned by the same team and person, which is maybe the chief data officer, or as data evolves in its usage from management to analytics, there should be a different um, responsible person for that governance? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, you know, it's really interesting how some of these things get born. So in my experience, the way analytics was born, the most hardcore AI people are very far away from the CDO. You know, so you have your algorithmic traders. They don't want to talk to the CDO. They want to talk to the business people about all this kind of stuff, right? And so in some respects, what what the next generation is going to do is how do you take the best of 
the people that knew how to develop algorithms, how to, how to track and version those algorithms, and then you make it available to the entire enterprise. In some respects, there's, there's nothing really new about ML stuff, right? It's, it's been there for a while. It's just been at the edges, consumed by the very few. And so I think that a lot of what the CDO's role is, is there are people who know how to track algorithm versions, let's make it a standard. There are people how to know how to track data standards, let's make it a standard, and bringing it all together. And Ramesh, this is kind of getting back to your point around, in some respects, I, I operate a switchboard. You know, you're trying to get all the people who do different things to kind of speak the same language. And they're not born that way. They're frustrated by each other. People who work in analytics hate data people. Yeah. right? Because they slow them down, they're bureaucratic, all this kind of stuff. And people who work in data hate analytics people. They want too much, they want too fast, all this kind of stuff. And, and the secret sauce of what we're trying to do is to unify those concepts. And so getting back full circle to this idea of trying to be in the, in the, in the place of trying to create standards, we want to create standards that make everything go faster. You know, if you think about like what makes Walmart good at their supply chain, everybody uses the same SKUs. Everybody uses the same systems. Everybody's speaking the same language, right? They figure out a way to make it so that the, the actual supply chain is enabled and empowered by a common vocabulary and a common process. And in, in, this, in effect, that's what we're trying to do with data. We're trying to make sure that everybody understands this is the process you go through to get the data. And it's not slow, it's faster. If you follow the process, it should be faster. That's the question I think every CDO has to ask themselves. Is that true right now? Probably not. No. Right? It's probably not faster for them to follow the process. Yeah. It's faster for them to work around the process. And I think about that every day. I think about trying to come up with a process that's better than what they could do themselves. I'll help you find your data faster, not slower. I'll help you get that data in your basket doing the analytics today, right now. Uh, and if we can't, we failed. That's, but that's the goal. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.